Now, I don't really have to tell all of you that, you know, COVID has been at least a minor inconvenience to many of us. In fact, some of us, that, that might be a, about all that it was to us individually. However, there were some other individuals that it was more than just a minor inconvenience. And if you remember, whenever we were meeting outside and worshiping together in our, in our vehicles during that time, there were several months that we kept praying for Bill Kendrick. And, you know, we probably know it from our perspective. And, you know, sometimes we might not have always even known how serious and everything it was. But I'm not sure exactly how many times, but it did get pretty serious there there uh, for a bit. And, and I know that we we definitely prayed for him for weeks and weeks, really months during that time. Well, this morning, he has so graciously uh, agreed to come here and to share with us his side of that story. It's going to be a little different than our side, and we're going to hear just how what all God has done in, in his life. And I think that we will all be, be blessed in this time together to be able to hear just what God is doing, you know, still in our midst. So we have Bill Kindred, who is going to be delivering uh, the message this morning. So, Brother Bill. today. So just to be safe, I've been wearing this mask. And uh, it's kind of funny. Well, most people aren't wearing masks anymore. So people that see me, a lot of times don't know who I am until I take the mask off. Oh, Bill. So, uh, but it's a blessing for me to be here with you this morning. Uh, on more than one account, it's a blessing for me to be here, period. But it's a blessing for me that Gary offered the invitation for me to be here and that you all agreed to have me. And uh, I thank you for that. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story and how God has blessed me and Teresa and our family. And uh, usually I try not to get too emotional about this. Teresa always does. Because it was harder on her than it was on me, actually, because for a good part of the time, I was sedated and really didn't know what was going on, but she did. So uh, in many respects, it was much harder on her. But God pulled us through, as he always will. He put that <coughs> And no matter what would have happened, it would have been okay. Because... I'm a Christian and I have every confidence that I'll be home with the Lord someday. So uh, that's a comfort we can take as Christians, uh, that that's what happened. So I'm going to share with you a little bit what happened. Um, if you don't mind, I'll put my glasses on because I'm at the age where I have to have them. And uh, it's kind of a long story, but I try to condense it. And uh, I've always been a very healthy individual. The only time I've been in a hospital prior to uh, August of 2020 
was when I had a broken bone or I tore something up in sports or things like that. It was never for a medical or health reason. But in uh, June of 2020, I started having this low-grade fever that wouldn't go away. And I had several COVID tests and they were convinced I had COVID. So I was in quarantine for a good period of time. And finally in August, my fever started to spike. Went up to about 102.5. And my physician said, we, we're gonna get you to Vanderbilt. Because I, I can't figure out what's wrong with you, but they can. So I, I was sent to Vanderbilt. Um, in August of 2020. And after doing a lot of tests and they finally did a kidney biopsy, it was determined I had an autoimmune disease. And for those of you that aren't familiar with that, it's where your body attacks itself. Rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease, or several. This one was kind of rare, it was called Wagoner's vasculitis. And it either affected your upper respiratory, your lungs, or your kidneys, but generally not both. Well, mine hit my kidneys. And my kidneys today are probably about 50% of what they should be, but I'm doing okay with those. They had to do a kidney biopsy to find out that I actually had that, stick a needle into my kidney and pull out a little sample of tissue and, and look at that. It's a, it's, God, I believe in several steps of this, God intervened because before I went to Vanderbilt, actually the day they diagnosed what I had is when my kidneys started going bad. Before that, they were normal, even when I was in the hospital for a few days before they, two days actually, before they found out what was wrong. So they were able to catch it very early. And it's, it's not a good outcome for that disease because most people don't realize they have it until later they've had it a while. And by that time it's too late. And they're generally either on a dialysis machine or they say if it's not treated, you'll die within four months. So God was watching over me and had me in the right place at the right time to be treated by those who knew it was wrong. And it happened, just so happened, my, my kidney started going bad that day and they were able to intervene quickly. And what they did was, it was a protocol treatment with two things maybe happened, or did happen. One was prednisone, high doses of prednisone, steroid. Anybody that's on a steroid will tell you two things. It makes you eat like crazy, and it makes you bloat. And for some people, it even makes you irritable. But uh, Teresa will tell you none of those things happened to me, but they, I ate a lot and put on a lot of weight. Um, but they started me on a drug called, uh, oh my goodness, I'm running a drum blank. Uh, Rituximab, Ritux, Rituximab. And that was to treat the autoimmune part. What it did was it knocked down my immune system, my white blood cells, which defend against illness or infection, but it also kept them from attacking my kidneys. So, you know, actually everything went pretty well. I've been working on the farm before all this happened, maybe 10 or 12 hours a day, hoping to open the agritourism business at Paul. This is when I was sick. Um, and then after the biopsy, he said you can't lift anything over 20 pounds for 
a while. So anyway, that, that was put on hold. And everything was pretty good. I was very blessed. Uh, it went into remission very quickly. And I felt pretty good, and I was blessed. And then in December, I was diagnosed on December 15th. I was tested and positive for COVID. And that was a Delta COVID, the one that was pretty violently attacked your body. On the 21st, I was admitted to TJ with double pneumonia. Hit me pretty hard. Couldn't figure out why it was hitting me so hard until later, but it hit me hard. And on the night of the 26th, oh, let me tell you during this time too, when I was admitted there, Teresa could not come and see me. Because at that time, COVID, they would not let any visitors come in the ICU. So here I was, I was in the unit, and she had to be away from me. She spent nights in the car under my window praying for me. Um, the family couldn't get together. We didn't have Christmas together that year. Um, and then on December 26th that night, I was sitting on the side of my bed, and all of a sudden I couldn't breathe. I was, I was fine, also I couldn't breathe. What happened, my right lung had collapsed. And they looked at me and said, Bill, Dr. Rush Dan said, Bill, do you want to go on the ventilator? I shook my head, yes. And he said, well, we're going to lay you back. And they laid me back, and that's the last thing I remember. Now, coming back to time and opportunity, if I had not been a Christian, and they rushed in and said, Bill, do you want to go on the ventilator? And I said, yes. Statistics show only 20% of people that go on the ventilator with COVID come off the ventilator. You don't know when things will happen to you when you need to be saved. Well, being saved is so important. And, and that's part of this message, too, is that if you have not yet proclaimed, confessed Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and that he's the Son of God, and be baptized, don't put it off. And we'll talk about this a little bit in the invitation, but it's so important because we never know what, like, what will happen to us in our life. So the doctors put me on the vent and they informed Teresa that my condition was dire at that time. I believe, I have four scars on my side, and I believe two of they're all from chest tubes. Uh, and that what that does it, it sucks when your air lung collapses, air fills in the space for fluid where that used to be lung. And the chest tube has a vacuum that sucks all that out so the lung can re-expand. Um, so I had a couple chest tubes put in. Um, we didn't know it at that time, but family, neighbors, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, this congregation, and many more were already praying for me. And it humbles me to think about how many people prayed for me. Um, even to this day when I go out, I'll see people, oh, 
without, almost without exception, people tell me that they, when I was sick, they prayed for me. And, and I come, came to find out later that people all over the country, through Teresa's blogs and writing, were praying for me. Um, the power of prayer is undeniable. Those of you that don't believe when you pray to God sincerely with faith that he will do what you ask him to do, if you don't do it, you're missing out on something because if it weren't for prayer, I firmly believe I would not be standing here today. I often joke. This is a joke. It's not serious. But you know, I, I tell people, you know, God is probably in heaven and knew I was sick and he's looking down at me and he said, you know, I don't know about that little kingdom. <laughs> but uh, then all these people started praying for me and he said, well, there must be some reason we need to keep him around. So, now that's a joke. But, but I know that that all the sincere prayers of people around this community and this, and I just can't, I mean, it humbles me. I can't thank you enough for that. Rachel and Teresa, when I was in the, they brought a CD player so the nurses could play music for me. You know, I don't remember it. But they played music uh, and several, and they did it every day. And on on Sunday they would put spiritual. We have when my lungs were better, I was a song leader at Pleasant Hill, and uh, I got many of the CDs of, of acapella songs so that I could learn some I didn't know. And they, I guess I got some of those, and they would play those on Sunday uh, for me. They prayed over me every day. Laura Judd, some of you know Laura. Um, real quick story about Laura. We were eating at a barbecue at a place up at Sulphur Well, and she was a waitress. And she was just crying and just overwhelmed by all the works. You know, she was just overloaded. And she was such a sweet soul. I said, and I was working at TJ's, and I said, Laura, if you ever want to be a nurse, let me know. Because she said something about wanting to be a nurse. So she did, and in, uh, in what little way I could, I helped her make that happen. Well, now she's she's a nurse practitioner and a, a, a nurse on helicopters, and she was amazing. And she kind of took care of me when I was in the hospital at TJ. And there were many others. Uh, family, my cousin's wife, so nurse at TJ, uh, Teresa's cousin, so nurse at TJ. Both of them saw me one time and cared for me one time and couldn't do it after that because I was so sick. And just any place I had a place to put it, there was a tooth in my body. Um, some places where I didn't have a place to put it. Um, but they, played, they prayed over me. Um, and like I said, Teresa would often sit alone in the church building over Pleasant Hill and pray. For some reason, that brought her closer to God in that place, she felt. For me, it's out in the middle of the field somewhere. I feel closer to God. 
But she uh, prayed, and I don't remember any of what went on. At that time, the doctors would call reports to let them know how I was doing because they couldn't see me. And Teresa couldn't bear to take those, and my daughter Rachel would take the reports and then convey to Teresa what went on or what was going on. And at that time, Teresa started a, a blog called Pray Go Home. Um, people from everywhere would just let them know that they were praying for me. I, I told Teresa, <coughs> excuse me, I wish I had brought it. I had a tub that's probably this size of the pulpit. And it's full of get well cards about this tall. And that's not all of them. And it's, kind of, it's so impressive. I keep it in my office where I can see it. And just re remember how blessed I am and how humble I need to be always. Um, finally, I managed to get out of ICU with TJ and they put me in a step down room, which is second north if you're familiar with TJ. And at that time, either Teresa or Rachel were with me, always. Um, I was still on the ventilator at that time. Um, but one night I got really worse. Uh, they took me off for a little, two, two days, honey, they took me off, I think. And I had to get, go back on. But they said I was kind of conscious, but I don't remember. Because my doctor came in and I'd give him a thumbs up. And I don't know, Teresa, how I maybe communed maybe with hand signs. And, but then I had to go back on the bank because I wasn't ready to come off. And, Shortly after that, I had a really bad night. My, uh, I had two chest tubes in already, and my lung collapsed. And it was so bad that Dr. Kummerfeld, the pulmonologist, called all the family in and actually went around and shook their hands and said, I'm sorry, we've done all we could do. But there was a nurse there. God works in mysterious ways. This nurse was working at TJ, but she was a trauma nurse. She came to, before she was at TJ, she was a trauma nurse in the emergency room at Vanderbilt. Now, I've worked in medical center emergency rooms when I was a respiratory therapist. And when you're in a big facility like that, you see everything. That young lady, kept me alive that night until they could fly me to Bowling Green where they had a cardiothoracic surgeon that could go in and actually suture up the holes. My blue hole in my mouth. That was so bad that it would not stay inflated. They couldn't suck that stuff out enough to reinflate it. Well, somehow he went in there and sewed it up. And actually saved my life. And then he graciously gave me two more tests. <laughs> but he did it in such a way, it was, it was pretty, the scars are very tiny because he's a surgeon and the other ones just pushed a rod to my side and didn't put a tube in. Um, Dr. Dandy was his name. And uh, a funny story about that was when they, they I was so sick they, they could have taken me by ambulance. Bowling Green's not that far from Alaska, but they flew me. My brother-in-law, Robert, made it to Bowling Green before the helicopter. And when it landed, Robert was running to the helicopter. 
and security ran out and grabbed them and stopped them, said, you can't go there. But uh, Robert got there before the helicopter did. I don't know how fast he was driving, but he, he got there before I did. So that young nurse saved my life last night, carried me through the night. Teresa was shaking so hard they got a blanket to warm her and sent her to the chapel that night. Because things were pretty bad. And uh, something else too, Russell and Grant and the boys' friends, uh, when they heard I was that sick, they all gathered in the parking lot at TJ and was praying for me. I guess it was quite a group of young kids. Uh, always had a good relationship with the kids because we were fortunate enough to have a swimming pool at our house when they were all growing up and all the kids came to our, Justin knows, all the kids always came to our house to play, the boys' friends. And most, many nights we had two or three that spent the night and more sometimes, but uh, all those young men and women were, were praying for me at the hospital under the window. And uh, that's, that's the night when, uh, when Teresa left my room also, a lot of this I'm doing from Teresa's perspective because I was out of this. But so when, when Teresa left my room, she, when she came back to the room, there was a circle of rooms in that unit that were all COVID. And Teresa feeling the need for prayer for me went around to each of those rooms and stopped and prayed for each of those individuals. And uh, so at this point I had four chest tubes in. I hadn't ate or drank anything since December. And I was on so much medicine I hardly knew what was going on. Now this is after I was off the ventilator. But I was still on something called BiPAP which took 100% oxygen to keep me alive and pressure. But I wasn't on the ventilator. But still I couldn't eat or drink anything. Everything I had was through a nasal NG tube or a tube eventually they put into my stomach. Um, but there were people who brought goodie bags to Teresa and subway cards and pictures of the family to hang in our room and if it would be weeks before we got to go to another hospital. I remember I had this kidney issue. Well, my kidneys failed when I was there. So I had to receive dialysis. So I put a cord in where I could be dialyzed. Teresa slept in chairs or chair beds and snack um, foods in the bathroom. That, that, I didn't understand why she did this, but she did it for compassion uh, for me. She would go in the bathroom, close the door to eat because she didn't want to eat in front of me because I couldn't. But that wouldn't have, I mean, I wish, I told her, I said, that honey, that thing bothered me. I said, you know, I want you to eat, be strong because I need you. And a lady uh, from here, Teresa Branstead of Kimball, some of you may know Teresa. She lives in Bowling Green. 
Um, she would make homemade meals and bring them to Teresa at the hospital. She lived there. Her husband, Phil, is an attorney, and he would drive those meals even under bad weather conditions so that Teresa would have something to eat. Spent most of February on the sixth floor at the medical center in Bowling Green, and there was a lady from Greenwood Church of Christ, uh, Vivian McClellan, that was part of a prayer group that would come to the hospital. Vivian frequently came to my room, and we all prayed together. And then there was another gentleman, and I wish I could remember his name. The only thing I do remember about him, he always told corny jokes. But he was a, a Church of Christ preacher that would come in and, and pray with me frequently, very frequently. Then the cards from friends and loved ones and neighbors started pouring in. Churches across several states had me on their prayer list. Uh, Mayfair Church of Christ, Mark Yokely, who's from here, uh, was an elder down at Mayfair Church of Christ in Huntsville. And uh, he let me know that the elders were praying for me. They had an elder meeting every Monday night. The elders prayed for me, which there's a verse in the Bible that talks about when you're sick, have the elders pray together over you, anoint you with oil. They didn't get to do that because they were too far away, but they did pray for me. And I know there were elders from all over the congregations that were praying for me. It says in the Bible, the prayers of the righteous availeth much. That's just not elders, that's every Christian. Their prayers availeth much. I still struggled. I was so weak after laying in the bed for three and a half months and not moving. All my muscles wasted away. Some of the pictures that you see of kids in Africa that haven't eaten how skinny their legs are. Well, I've always had pretty muscular legs, but, but they were gone. They were just like jello, you know. And for comfort, uh, Rachel would come in and and rub my feet, put lotion on my feet. And the boys would come in and move my legs for me to a different position because I couldn't, I couldn't lift my head off the pillow in the beginning. And that was my low point of all this. And I thought, you know, if I'm gonna be like this, I wanna go home. And I prayed to God to take me home, I really did. And that was a selfish thing on my part because there were so many that were praying for me to, to stay alive. And one day, Teresa got tired of hearing that. And she looked at me and pointed her finger and said, Bill Kindred, if God wants to take you home, he'll take you home. I don't want to hear any more of that. And that's true. If he wanted to take me home, he would have. And uh, so I tried to change my attitude and, and get on the trail of getting better. Um, One night, I told you I had that BiPAP on 100%. Patrice was sleeping next to me. And in my sleep, I knocked that off. And all of a sudden, Teresa woke up and there were a bunch of people in my room. Nurses and doctors. And they said, she could hear him say, he's, uh, he's already turning blue and his eyes are fixed. His pupils are fixed. Any of you that have a healthcare background, if your pupils are fixed, it means you're really bad. 
But for some reason, the Lord brought me back. Not, like I said, I was a respiratory therapist and I worked on a lot of people that had cardiac arrest and things, and that's one of the signs that they're in pretty bad shape is when their pupils are no longer reactive to life. And mine weren't, they said. But uh, the good Lord brought me back. Three different occasions I was on death's door and he brought me back. When others think they couldn't. And that's a scene to this day that still haunts Teresa. Um, some things I learned from this experience is that there's no small good deed. All deeds are good. They shouldn't classify deeds as good as small or large. Anything you do for someone in need is great. Never give up on someone you love. Ever. Have faith. But you always remember that all things work for good for those who love God. And if you truly love God, no matter what happens, it's okay. It won't seem okay sometimes, but it's okay. If I had went home to God, it would have been okay. And I know my loved ones would have been okay. They would have been saddened and hurt and felt loneliness and separation, but they would have been okay because they have the faith that I would be cared for. And I would have gone to paradise and one day be with God in heaven. God can do what we cannot. Oftentimes, we feel hopeless or we feel we don't have the ability to change things. That's when our faith needs to take over and let God help us. The power of prayer can move mountains if you have the faith to believe that God can move mountains. He can. The human touch is a simple act of, and the simple act of holding hands is a gift. I can't tell you when I was sick, one of the comforts I had was when we were sleeping or any time we could, Teresa and I held hands. Here's a picture of me when I was on the ventilator with her hand over mine. And if I couldn't reach her when she was sleeping next to me, I felt separated. And to this day when I'm sleeping, sometimes I'll feel myself reaching over and just touching Teresa and holding my hand on her. Because of the comfort that can give. And the last thing is I, I truly believe if your prayers are sincere with faith and belief that God can do anything, you can almost feel God when you pray. You know, prayers are a blessing that we have that we can communicate with God. Those of us that are not children of God really don't have that blessing. And God will always answer our prayers. Probably one of three ways. One, yes. Two, no. Or maybe not right now is the third. And we have to be patient 
Because God will do things in his time frame, not ours. Here's a card that I received. Annette Hebner, who's Annette Reese, some of you may know Annette. Uh, she actually lived, grew up right over here, across the road a little bit. Annette was Tracy's maid of honor, her close, closest friend, her and her cousin Martha. Uh, I got a card in the mail from Annette every day when I was sick. And it got to the point where I looked forward to getting that card. And it, it brightened my day, because I knew Annette was going to send me a card that day. I got this in the mail just a little while ago. It's almost hard to read. Annette has a thank you Jesus chart in her home. And every time she thinks of something for, that maybe Jesus did, or things that just are good in her life, she puts a note in that thank you Jesus jar. And she sent me this card not long ago because it, it was an anniversary of maybe the day I came off the ventilator or something. But she put these little notes in it that were in the thank you Jesus jar. One said, 1-16-21, 6 a.m., Bill came off the ventilator. Hippie. On March 12, 2021, Bill made it alive from out of the medical center in Bowling Green yesterday and went to Fraser Rehab in Louisville. An absolute miracle. Thank you, Jesus. And they were a miracle up there at Fraser. When I got there, I couldn't hardly walk. I, could, I couldn't stand, actually, when I got there. I've got pictures that the first day I was there to move me from the bed to the wheelchair, they had to use a hoist to pick me up and set me over. And you know, within two days, they had me standing. And in three days, they had me taking a couple steps. And before I left there, I was walking about 300 feet with a walker. And that was from in three weeks' time. And then I went to TJ's outpatient rehab, which was absolutely phenomenal. In trying to think. Two months, I mean, two, Teresa? Two, three months. They had me walking uh, two miles with no oxygen. And actually, before this last episode of COVID in January, I was in Vanderbilt for 17 days. Um, I was pretty normal, but you see, I've kind of got a setback a little bit. I'm on a little bit of oxygen, um, but it'll be fine. I've a, the good Lord has taken care of me for 70 years, and I have every belief that whatever happens, He's taking care of me now. Um, one other note that Annette put her thank you, Jesus jar. Says our best friends forever have prayed and prayed for Bill and Teresa. Friends forever love themselves. And then a little note on the bottom. These came from my thank you Jesus jar in the year 2021. Your illness caused us all to trust Jesus more. Love you, man. So, without question, I believe with all my heart, 
But if it weren't for the love, the grace, and mercy of God, I wouldn't be here today. And I believe a lot of that love, grace, and mercy derive from the prayers of people who prayed for me. So never underestimate the power of prayer because it's so important. And to be, to have that, take advantage of prayer, you need to be a Christian. I mentioned to you, if I hadn't been a Christian, that night they put me on the ventilator and I didn't come off, I'd have been doomed. Doomed for an eternity of pain and grief and suffering. But because I was a Christian, I have every faith that I would eventually be with God in heaven. We always hear time and opportunity. We do not know when that will happen. In the last two days, we lost two people that we cared deeply about, Teresa and I, in our, fa- in, in our church family and our personal family. Uh, Gary mentioned Joan Gasway passed. Joan fought a fight. You know, she was at worship services up to a couple weeks ago. And uh, sometimes she wanted her wheelchair cranked up high so she could see over everybody. But uh, she was an inspiration. A godly woman. A godly woman. That fought a good fight and never lost the faith, like much like Paul. You know, she, even though she couldn't talk, it got to a point where she couldn't speak. But she knew that she had every faith in God and whatever happened was okay. And her husband, Eddie, was the same way. I know he's grieving deeply now, but he knows. There's a comfort sometimes uh, when death comes. I've heard it said as, there's worse things than death. And you've been around someone that you love that's suffering, you know that's true. And the other one is, you never want to know what's going to happen. A gentleman uh, who is Mark Yelkley's father-in-law. He was a Christian man of great faith. Great faith. He was well-to-do. He was blessed financially. But he was the most humble man, one of the most humble men I've ever known. He was on a, he was camping. He was on a side-by-side, driving to his daughter's 60th surprise birthday party. In a freak accident, he went over a bridge and died. Just like that. So we don't know. So if you're here this morning and you haven't given your life over to Jesus, you haven't confessed him as your Lord and Savior, I can't stress enough the need to do it now. Don't put it off. Because none of us know where life will take us. And he wants you there. You know, Jesus didn't put off 
going to the cross. The night before, when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, Peter, the impetuous one, pulled that sword and cut off Malachus's ear. Jesus healed it back. And he said, you know, if I want to call 10,000 angels down here right now. And none of this will happen. Even though he, when he prayed, he prayed for God's will, not his. He said, if this cup can be taken from me, that would be okay. But whatever your will is, that's what I'll do. So Jesus didn't put off going to the cross. Our Lord and Savior, sinless, going there for each one of us who are sinners. Even today, we're saved, but we're sinners. We make mistakes. But we have the avenue of prayer, confession, and forgiveness because we're Christians. Because of the blood of Jesus. He didn't put that off. So I, I beg you, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, please do so. Do so now. So we're going to stand and sing and have an invitation song. And uh, please stand and we hope you'll come forward if there's need.